This is Leela This, and welcome to Key Ideas. Piano teaching doesn't come bundled with ready-made solutions. This podcast highlights some brilliant options for innovative piano teachers just like you. Today, I welcome Bradley Sowash to this Spotlight episode. Eight years ago, I received quite a formal email from Bradley asking me to assist him in organizing a creative track for the MTNA conference in 2013. His invitation was an honor and came as a complete surprise as we chatted at conferences, but were not yet close friends. We discovered that we worked well together, and this led to more planning for the NCKP 2015 conference and a collaboration with our mutual friend, the late Forrest Kinney. It soon dawned on us that working for organizations is okay, but designing our own conference, a more hands-on, dynamic, interactive workshop, would be even more fun. So for six years, we held annual 88 Creative Keys workshops in Denver, and even one in Ohio, where teachers and pianists from around the world connected with each other and developed their playing skills beyond the page. In 2019, we were both weary of the pressure to make the workshop and our quarterly webinars better than the last and agreed to part ways. But we've never parted as friends and continue to have the utmost respect for each other. I don't believe there is another person who has influenced my approach to teaching, creativity, and to my own playing as much as Bradley Sowash. So it seems about time to have Bradley join me here at Key Ideas. Our main objective was to discuss how to take a simple tune like Angels We Have Heard on High and morph it into a funk sensation. Our efforts to outline the steps are laced with plenty of anecdotal tips and quotes that will make you smile and tempt you to drop everything and make a mad dash for the piano so you can try your hand at funkifying a simple tune. Yes, funkify is a word as of this podcast episode. Before we get funky, here's more about Bradley. Bradley Sowash is a jazz pianist, multi-instrumentalist, composer, author, and educator. Bradley's known for his innovative online group Jazz Piano Classes, acclaimed keyboard improvisation books, and engaging presentations at conferences, webinars, and 88 Creative Keys workshops, which he co-founded. In addition to creating many resources for music teachers, He also self-publishes works for ballet, big band, choir, church musicians, film, orchestra, solo piano, and string quartet. Now, here's Leela's interview with Bradley. Hey, Bradley. Great to have you here today. It's been a long time. It's lovely to see you again and spend some educational time with you. Even though we're both in our pajamas, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell. Yeah, don't tell anybody. But thank you for being here. It's, yeah, I've missed you. I don't know if you have noticed, but I do plug you um, every once in a while in my podcast because you and I go way back with our 88 Creative Keys workshops and all that kind of stuff. And we won't dwell too much on that, but you've gone one way, I've gone another way, but it's great to have you back. And tell us now what you're up to. Well, as you know, I've been teaching online jazz piano classes 
for the uh, last five or six years, um, which I'm really glad that I got into that before this mm-hmm. pandemic because I already had those tools honed. No kidding. Yeah, so I've been going deeper into that and um, the the as- that aspect of my musical life has, has stayed um, strong during this time. Um, people are still coming to take to learn to play jazz piano classes. Um, most of them are um, recovering classical pianists, which I say with a lot of love. And a lot of them are piano teachers um, who've um, kind of always wanted to play this off-page stuff. And I really like teaching that kind of student, the one who's already has some chops together, already knows a little theory, and now we can show them all the goodies. So <laughs> I just have a ball with that. I mean, quite honestly, it just um, – I. Every lesson tends tends to get a little longer because it's also my social outlet. Mm-hmm. We have such yes. fun, and I don't want to stop it, you know. Um, so it's that's going well. And for some reason, um, I've just had a whole lot of um, sheet music uh, g- people asking for new sheet music, and t- those those are selling like really well during the pandemic, which is an unexpected surprise. So knock on wood, it hasn't been too hard on me financially, and I still love what I do. Isn't that amazing? I think that same thing. And if there is one thing to be grateful for, because I I use that word, I don't use that word all that much right now, but I am grateful for music and for my piano students, both. It's, uh, they both feed my soul. Let's go back to your term, recovering classical pianist, because I am truly one of those. And do you, do you encounter them all the time? They're always there. I thought maybe that would be done now i thought we're over that but there's oh i wish that were true um yes in in the beginning of the uh time that i started to advocate at traditional conferences and and gatherings of traditional teachers to um integrate improvisation into the normal curriculum that there was a lot of indifference i would say and then um even occasional not very often occasional outright um, like I was insulting someone to even suggest that that music could be made away from Beethoven. Um, that has slowly gotten easier and, and changed so that more and more I can talk about how you do it rather than why you should. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What I've noticed is that uh, the younger teachers and younger players are a little bit more likely to uh, just to kind of assume that there will be some element of creativity and, and generative music in their classes, uh, and that we not—it's not such a struggle anymore. At the same time, I have a, a little bit of a, a surprise sometimes when uh, people don't acknowledge that um, I and and some other colleagues, including you, Leela, were very instrumental in helping to turn that ship around. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of forget, and um, so. It is getting easier to to interest people in this. Um, I think that the very unfortunate divide between reading classical players and um, somewhat by ear improvisers is starting to come down, and um, there's some healing going on there. We're both, mm-hmm. frankly, jealous of each other, <laughs> um, and that was, you uh-huh. know, and therefore we get snobby about it. Uh-huh. Um, well, let's just define a recovering classical pianist, and I will give my own definition. I graduated with a master's degree in piano performance and pedagogy and was handed a chord chart and did not know what to do with that. And so I teach out of reaction to how I have been taught and make sure that, you know, I – 
I don't push it down people's throats, but they're all going to be exposed to the ideas of playing away from the page. They're going to be creating their own things, composing, some improvising. It's not everybody's niche, but you should allow them to have that chance. And a lot of it had to do, Bradley, with knowing your theory. And I remember when we first met, one of the very first things I read about you was um, that story about, oh, let's see. Oh, he was a great jazz player. He was playing somewhere in a bar and you walked up to him. Do you remember that story? You know yes, as a kid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I asked him, how can I how can I do what you do? He's playing there with no music on his stand, cigar in the mouth, and and uh kind of looks down at me and I'm young enough to not realize it's probably rude to be pulling on the trouser leg of a <laughs> of a um you know gigging pianist. Especially while and, he's playing. Yes. Yeah. And there was a bass and drums there, I believe, with him. And um he just looked down at me and said, Learn your chords, kid. <laughs> Learn your chords, kid. And boy, was he on the money. That is the thing that opens the door. It is. It is so true. And then the other story, you have plenty of stories. I like stories. I mean, and yes, you do like stories. The other story that always has stuck with me, well, a lot of them have, but the other one is about you playing with a band and then someone came up to you after you had performed. Do you remember that story? Can you guess which one I'm talking about? He came up with a broom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an embarrassing story. <laughs> I love it though, because it's so important. So I'm sorry to... So let me just put this, um, let's just say we're playing, um, uh, it's, it's Christmas time, so let's say we're playing a Christmas tune. I used to play, when I, when I think I was feeling, um, playing it with a lot of feeling, I would um, actually jerk the tempo all around. I might go like this. <laughs> Which, of course, just makes everybody seasick. That's terrible. Uh -huh playing because um rubato doesn't happen on in um you know by pushing the tempo all around rather it happens over a steady beat to, i'll answer your question but just to show you what an improved version of that might sound i can still phrase but so i still took the melody and pushed it around a little bit but it still lived over a, a, a steady beat. But I didn't understand that at the time. And a great uh, drummer um, with a, really quite nice credentials. He, he played with Woody Herman and Ray Charles and uh, Maynard Ferguson. And he's a really polite guy. And he was um, he got up on the on the break um, and went to the kitchen of the nice fancy restaurant we were playing in and came back with a broom and a dustpan that he borrowed from the back. Mm -hmm. And then he was just working up around the piano, sweeping up the floor like. And I said, like, uh, so, Jim, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm just sweeping up. I'm just cleaning up a little bit. And I look at the floor. I said, well, there's nothing on the – I don't see any dirt on the floor. He says, oh, I'm not sweeping up dirt. I said, well, what are you sweeping up? He says, you're dropped beats. Um, <laughs> and my ears got hot, and I was embarrassed. And then he just kind of <laughs> winked and said, you better get your metronome out. Um because as you know, time is so important to um, the kind of music I do with just pop jazz. And um, if you don't have the beat, you just uh, uh, see if the, if the beat's not steady, the tune's not ready. Mm. Um, so nice. I learned that lesson. Um, and now I'm fortunate to um, have, I play, these are my own drums here under my feet. So I've learned to play drums, both on a set. And, the, and um, I'm able to do a little bit of that with the piano. The point being that I can um, 
I have worked hard on getting a good sense of time. And that's just one of those things that comes um, with experience. And I would say you heavily influenced me, excuse me, on all of that and made it very important from using backing tracks with iReal Pro. Like, I'm not going to be making the things that you have there. I I don't know if I'm that coordinated, number (laughs) one, to be both uh, using both feet all the time like that. But playing with a backing track and grooving my theory, I'm doing that with my students right now. Those are all things that you've instilled in me. And so many other people as well. And then what's interesting is I was just listening to a podcast about practicing and um, this one guy has a PhD in the art of practicing and he uses the metronome all the time, all the time. And so it made me think, oh, you know, I'm going to try that with my students. And so right now they're working on their Christmas pieces and one of the levels of their Um, preparedness for their piece is proficiency is what I call it. And can you play the entire piece with the metronome set at a certain number with zero errors? And it's, I'm doing it the same, I'm doing the same thing with myself as I'm learning a piece is I'm putting that metronome on and it's almost like a camera in some ways, because it gives you that feedback right away of, oh, you know, oh, I missed this. Why did I do that? You know, because I don't know it at that tempo yet. Um, and that's great stuff. Let, let me just say, I, I would the only thing I would change in the way I teach is um, the zero errors would not be necessary. I, just mm. before we did this podcast, I recorded a Christmas tune for my students to have a demo, and I um, totally had a series of wrong chords, and I sort of played a chromatic scale uh, to correct it. I kept the groove, I smoothed it over, and kept going. And I thought about re-recording that, but I felt like they'd learn more by seeing what mm. how. Um, how you survive, uh, especially when improvising some unintended chords or notes. Mm-hmm. And that um, that's always going to happen. So that that right there gets to that recovering classical pianist Correct. thing. However, that, okay, let me let me just say one thing. and and I tell them that. I said, the the mistakes, I know you're not perfect. You are going to make mistakes, but that is the one thing that you can measure. So if you are playing two lines and you're tracking them with a the metronome and, you everything's perfect except that one spot. That's the spot that you drill some more so that it doesn't trip you up anymore. Maybe it will in the performance, but you'll be able to slide by it. So I use mistakes as a, a measurement. Yes, that's good. That that that, um, and and I, and I don't discount that at all. It, it is working from the printed page that that's possible because with improvisation. Then you don't really know exactly what's right. You only know when it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since there's ten ways that sound good, right? You yeah. only know that way that didn't. You know. So, but I'm really picky about the time. I, I, you know, you could play the worst notes in the world. If you keep the beat, I'm going to be um, reasonably happy. If you mm-hmm. stop and fix and pause, this is not going to cut it. Right. I can't abide that. And that's um, what the metronome does. It it stops them from fixing. Right. You know, there, there's so many good things about it that. I've noticed in everybody's playing, it's, and it, what's fun is I make a game out of it. Like, okay, now you got the notes. Now can you play it with the metronome? You know, right. and then they think it's fun, and so it's not a tool of torture. It's a tool of revelation for them. The of, first time oh. too, they think the metronome's broken, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's cha- it's speeding up. Oh, no, you are. <laughs> we'll be right back after this short message. Innovation, connectivity, and empowerment. These are the names of the three tracks of the Inspired Music Expo offered by Tanara, coming up on December 18 and 19, 2020. 
If you haven't registered for this online conference, there's still time. Both days are packed with insightful presenters, including two of my favorite TED Talk speakers, Anita Collins and Charles Lim. And there's dynamic community panel discussions scheduled too. During my session, I look forward to empowering you with boundaries as you get your creative juices flowing. With my discount, you can get tickets for $15. And if you've got holiday plans on the 18th and 19th, you still have access to the entire conference for 14 days after. Just head to the show notes for the link. See you there. Now back to my chat with Bradley. We talked about two things or two stories were your sense of timing and how important that became to you, and then also knowing your chords. And once you know those two things, you can box anything up into a really nice package and make really cool things. So let's go next to our item that we were going to talk about, and that is taking a tune and funkifying it. I think that's the <laughs> new word that I'll, I'll coin for this. And you were just playing right before we started this recording, a really cool version of Angels We Have Heard on High. So can you play for us how it, it would sound in the classical world, world, first of all, pretty much just um, straight? Geez, I'll try it. Let's yeah. see if I can something like this. <laughs> Ooh, that was a little chords. bit too colorful, but okay, pretty good. Yes, nice and straight rhythm. Okay, now can you give us a taste of what your funkified version is? Yeah, so just to dive into that, just and then, then we'll break it down maybe. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. so, so I liked it talking about that time we're put on that funky beat. This is just mm-hmm. an automated, automated drum track. It says um, funk. Actually, let's... Um, and... Uh, I'll play it and I'll describe it. And we take it out right there. Nice. Uh, yeah. As dancing along, nobody can see it, but. <laughs> And it kind of. Um, so we want to know how you went from A to Z, almost complete opposite. It's the same tune, and it's it is the same chords, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, it's actually less chords. The chords. Less there's a chords. lot of motion, but there's I just boiled that whole thing down to to everything I just played so far was essentially a G seven with a little quick maybe passing D seven in there. I'm in the key of G, so I added it's one with a little teeny five. Kind of along the way, <laughs> so it's just really yeah. a G chord. Um, you know, a hymn re- relies on those four parts moving in and out, and that's a wonderful art form. Um, when you have a really rich rhythmic environment, it's helpful to reduce the other environment um, of harmony. So, in other words, mm-hmm. if we have a really really slow ballad, and um, and there's not a whole lot of rhythmic underpinning because it's really stretched out and beautiful that's where you want your really rich chords and and fills and things but when you have all the interest in the rhythm then the chords can actually become a lot simpler uh um but there's still a lot of motion i can show you what i mean if you like um let's 
you know, we're both pedagogues. We both want to know how to teach someone how to do what you just did. So can you break it down for us? What would you do with a student who wants to do what you just did? So, um, yeah, we could work through. I have this way, this acronym I like to teach with learning a tune. And I learned this. I want to give credit where it's due, as, as we mentioned earlier. Um, my students actually came up with this um, in a couple of jazz piano classes ago. The acronym is THANKS, T-H-A-N-K-S. <laughs> so when we're working with a tune that is just really just a tune in chords like a um, lead sheet, those stand for tune, that's the T of thanks, harmony um, for the H, accompaniment, noodling, <laughs> kickback, share, and that spells nice. thanks. Um, nice. So the, if I were to teach this to a student, the, the first thing we would learn is the um, melody, particularly if they didn't know it. This being a Christmas song, it, it, it's easy enough to, to um, you know, to recognize it. If we could do it by ear, that's even better. Um, a lot of times in my classes, we just work from a lead sheet and mix in a little bit of road, or maybe I'll just show a couple of key target notes. Um, but, you know, we would just start with this really uninteresting um, discovery of where the notes are. In this case, it's B, 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 D, D, C, B. So it's such a little five-finger pattern. Um, and I don't even need to, if I put my third finger on that B, I don't even need to move my hand. Um, that's B, A, B, D, B, A, G. So the whole thing sits in five, five-finger pattern. And we just want to make sure that we know those, um, not just in our muscles, but we know exactly what those notes are so as we decorate it and embellish it and make it more interesting um, we aren't get, trying to figure out what the, the tune is so it seems basic but you gotta know your tune before you do something with it right and then i would probably stop and say and look whoever wrote this you know it didn't take that much to make a tune it, it that's what's amazing about tunes there's not it a is. lot of notes yeah, I mean, you know, if we're looking at Bach or some Baroque um, math geniuses, that's that's those are very busy. Um, but most tunes, if they're singable, are are don't aren't you know? We get down to composing, and we sometimes get lost in trying to think that complexity equals better. It couldn't be a simpler song here. And look, how long has this lasted? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it was written I don't know 150 years ago, maybe I don't really know. Um, so I'll there's a second up. part. Just I'll just run through it. Uh, D, E, coming down the scale. C is my target. D, coming down the scale. B is my target. C, coming down the scale. So, such a pattern. And that's pretty much it because this part we've already played earlier. Pretty much. So, um, that's kind of the whole song in terms of um, the elements. Uh, and we could do the whole the whole thing, but we get you know get the tune down first, um, and then you get your harmony down. That's the H. And when we're do when we're talking about learning harmony, we're talking about learning uh, just the chords in a very boring way. Just what are they? And in this case, because I'm I'm planning to reduce it, it's so simple. It's just a G7 the whole time. Notice how artless this is, though. I'm just getting the chords down. That's my goal here. I'm holding down a G7 in second inversion in the left hand. Maybe I'll do a quick D here. Ooh, okay. And the reason I chose a G7 rather than a more conventional G is it has that little color note in it. Mm -hmm. And because I know that we want to get this into a funky environment, that already gives me a little bit of that, I guess, blues color. Um, so far, so good. We got T and H. Mm -hmm. And now... The A is where we figure out what to do with those chords. 
So we, how with that accompaniment? Yeah, we know that's the, the harmony. What do we do with it? And that's the whole world of styles. You know, let me just do a couple that we aren't going to do. We could do uh, maybe a Latin thing with that. Um, uh, we could do a waltz, maybe. Or a tango, or a, or a, or a um, let me try a ragtime. Uh, you know, no one's so huh? successful, but whatever. There's various styles that we can plug in. That's This is the decision process about what is going to be the style of the tune at hand. This is how an arranger thinks. Mm-hmm. How do we make this tune our own? And, and I so, would say, I'm just going to jump in right there. Please. As a classical pianist, I would probably start with a waltz with my student first because that they can see the chords yet, right? You play maybe the G down low, and then you play the chord up in the middle range. <clears throat> they would probably understand that because when I heard some of your other variations, like, whoa, what was he doing? You were right. basing it on a G chord, but you were doing all kinds of crazy things with it. You weren't just playing a blocked chord. You know, and it just to back that up, because I know there'd be some beginners listening and, and also teachers that teach beginners. Um, one thing you can do before you even get to styles is just see if you can maintain a pattern. Mm-hmm. So let's just say like short, short, long. Which happens to be the Jingle Bells, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. you know, rhythm if you want to have. So let's just see if we can. You know, just the, right. just getting used to playing a pattern in one hand. Or you could reverse that long, short, short. So... Just so that we're developing a little hand independence and the idea that the accompaniment is going to be different than the melody. And I like Um, that because that could be the step that people master and then be done for a while. That's going to be as good as it gets, but that's what's nice. And then they can come back to it next year. Let's add some more. Yep. Yep. I'll just, I guess it's okay to mention this is, that's the kind of very basic uh, accompaniments that I... um, really detail in the my creative chord series, mm, the mm-hmm. beginning keyboard improvisation method. Yeah. Um, so we just start really simply like that. But okay, um, in so this case, we've ad- yes, we've advanced now. We know our chords pretty well and we can get the coordination down between the hands. So now what would be the next step? So th- this particular arrangement, I um, originally put it together for a big band, the, the typical large jazz ensemble that, of 18 players. Um, four trumpet players, five saxophones, four trombone players, a rhythm section, and in this case, a choir. And it was a commission. They like, can you give us, you know, your jazzy thing on a on a, on a series of Christmas tunes? I wrote 10 of them. And just as an aside, they, they asked for 10 more. So I actually wrote 20 mm-hmm. pieces for big band in this style. Um, and even some of them became, I think this tune became part of a, um, a symphony that made it into an or- orchestra thing. And it's every year. It's part of this big concert called Christine's Christmas that has a, a choir. A, and anyway, so this kind of become a sort of a little mini Christmas hit for me. Um, and currently, we're learning it in my class. Um, so anyway, with that challenge uh, to to find the wrinkle as an arranger, I I, I thought um, let's put this into a, a different groove. And this is the same work that the teacher or the student would do. What is the feel? And I find it very inspirational to have a drum track when I'm thinking about that. So let's listen again to what a funk track, which is what I picked, sounds like. So one thing you notice about funk is it has an emphasis on 16th notes. It has that taka 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 And it's slow enough 
that there's room for those 16th notes. So to make something sound funky, you have to have it slow enough. Um, you can imagine one of the most famous funk tunes is uh, Superstition, right? Well, most people, uh, you know, play that too fast, and we can't get to the... You know, so that whole um, Stevie Wonder and, and Earth, Wind, and Fire and all that, if you listen to them, they seem like they're going to be really fast, and that's why they're exciting. But it's only fast because the subdivision is felt mm -hmm. underneath. So they're actually quite slow. Um, so that's quite slow, but with a funk beat... Um, So it sounds like it's really bit fast. So the first thing is to separate out the the some subdivisions from the from the uh, true tempo, um, and then you notice that the, the bass line. That's what came to mind. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just you know uh, I can explain that bass line right here in real time. Um, it's essentially G and F, two notes in the G seven chord. So I have a, um, a student Marcy who learning this tune to make it a little bit easier for herself, just condense that down to G, F, G. Something like this. Nice. And that worked really well. Just G, yeah. F, G. Mm -hmm. um, and See, and, okay, so, then we could just call it done right there with a number of students right there because that sounds yeah. good. And it's, mm -hmm. it sounds fun and it's... It does. It's, it, notice it's not one, two, three. It is a, because of the 16th. But they're kind of anticipated. You kind of let that come out. The bass line I chose was a little bit more complicated, but it sits in the hand beautifully. It's just D, sorry, G, D, E, F. G, D, E, F. That's pretty much the whole thing, um, but there's a rhythm to it. Um, so it's... And then I just have... I went ahead and put in this little fill. It starts on B and it's chromatic. B, C, C sharp, D, and then the whole thing repeats. So now the tune's almost done, right? I already have this. So moving back to T-H-A-N-K-S, that's, we've now given the tune, uh, we've got the tune, we've got the harmony, we've got some accompaniment. But notice that we aren't quite ready to, to make it really uh, artistic yet because we we have we have dropped an element in order to play the bass line. We have um, we don't have the left hand chords where we're just holding that down that G seven that had to go away because there's only two hands. I know. Available. So then, do you get a third or what do you do? Yeah. So <laughs> what I, what you do? There's lots of strategies and it's fun to look at the history of piano music and um, see how many how many solo piano composers have tried to solve this problem of bassline um, melody and, and harmony. And there's so many ways to do this, such as stride or waltz that you mentioned. Um, in this case, I'm going to use something my word called hang chords, um, where we just find the notes of the chord underneath the harmony. Uh, sorry, underneath the melody note. So I have a B in the melody, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm just going to play a G chord in the inversion that has that B on top. And so those notes from the bottom up would be D, G, B, but it's governed by the melody note. Now here's the great trick. This is a real takeaway. In the key of G, when you're playing in a funky style with a G7 thing, this is a wonderful key for piano players because you can move shapes around 
and just holding the shape of your hand as if it were in a cast and you can't even move your fingers uh, you can move it around and it sounds funky so without any thought of what chords I'm playing just moving that shape um, with that bass line That was 100% no change in hand position. <laughs> and that would be all white keys, too, that you were playing. All Correct? white keys. All, I know. See, that, and let's just pause a minute because that's unusual. You're in the key of G, but you're playing a G7 chord, which means you are not playing an F sharp. You're playing an F natural. Yes. Which breaks that all kinds of, of rules. That's why <laughs> as classical pianists just get all confused because you're not following the key signature. Right. We would call that a bluesy dominant chord. It's or bluesy <laughs> yeah. It's it, it yep. Yeah. Music has there's a wonderful stuff about classical music and this is not a but, it's an and. Uh, the rules of classical harmony really are still very relevant and very much a part of good songwriting. It's just that there's more now. Mm. Um, mm. We've kind of we've right. added to that. Yeah. So yeah. we have a bigger palette than Beethoven or Mozart and had. Let's just pause just for a second because you are the guru to me of all chord symbols. But when you said G7, I knew exactly what you meant. But some may be a little bit iffy about that because in the key of G major, it should be spelled G, B, D, F sharp. And so that would be a G major 7. Right. But you're not playing that. You have decided or... The powers that play G seven G B D F. Which in this case we're just thinking of the F in this context only. We're not really thinking of it as a seventh as much as just a color on that G chord. Mm, okay. Give it a little yeah, losingness. Like mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, okay, okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, okay. I love it. Uh, so, so you can now just move the shape around like I showed you. Well, I'm, you know, I know you can't see my fingers, but I'm playing one three five. Mm -hmm. DGB, and I'm moving that up. I'm not even going to name the notes as it doesn't matter. It just, it's just a shape. If you want to be real nerdy about it, you can call it parallel structures. Um, so I'm going to hold that shape in my hand and play the melody with my pinky. Uh, let's just do pinky alone for a second. It'll sound the same to you, but pinky, 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 pinky. So my fifth finger playing all those notes, and now the rest of the hand will ride along with that shape. So anybody could just right away. It's all white mm -hmm. keys. Um, now that sounds a little bit off, but not with a bass. Uh, ah, can, okay, if, there you go. Uh -huh. If I wanted to fix that chord, you can't. I'd have to change shape. I kept it to that same shape all the way through, just to, to show you. Okay, that and let's just let's throw in one other Bradley mantra. Do you know what I'm going to say next? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We haven't hung around each other for a while. Otherwise, you probably would. You're only one note away from... A better note. There yeah. you go. Yes. If you don't like the <laughs> note, because chords are organized in thirds, if, if you don't like the note you ended on, you go to the one beside it, and it's probably going to fix it. In that case, that applies to this. Look, I played B, E, G from the bottom up, and I was looking for a G chord, so the E became a D, and there's See, my G. There you go. I know. But... It is amazing how much of your wisdom seeps into every inch of my teaching. So God, you're I sweet. gotta say, thank you. For your listeners, I wanna say this. Um, <laughs> Leela's been the poster child for the recovered classical pianist who completely <laughs> embraced um, creativity and writing beautiful arrangements and even jammed with me a, a couple of times in a church uh, Which setting. Which was scary, that was scary. But I wanna <laughs> acknowledge that I, she has really improved my teaching, co-teaching mm -hmm. with her 
has improved my pedagogy a lot um, because what I teach is um, it's just so easy and so many improvisers say what feels true to them which is ah you know you just kind of feel it <laughs> and you yeah. just kind of and that is sort of what it feels like how we do it once it's intuitive so she's helped me learn to break it down and I don't know it's been a beneficial collaboration to over the years to teach together um, so it goes, goes both ways well thank you it is so let's go fun. on Okay, yes. Um, so we now put together, let's just play it once with that parallel structure. I'm going to play the rhythm in my feet instead of the automated just for a minute. Okay, mm. so that was just moving shapes around. Um, there is... <laughs> See, I'm writing down all these things, moving shapes around. And I like, I like um, your melody is governed by your pinky. Mm. Yep. Good word. I like that. And look at your hands when you do this. Don't look at music. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of. You got to look at the keyboard. When I was a, a music student in music school, I was very confused. By my classical teacher would say, uh, "You know, watch the music. Do not look at your fingers and write it right <laughs> in the part." Then I go to my jazz lesson, and he's like, "What are you looking at all the music for? You got to watch your hands and improvise." And, and you know, and that was one of many. Uh, classical music didn't like me to tap. Teacher didn't like me to tap my foot. The jazz teacher was constantly telling me to move more um, mm -hmm. and feel the groove. So yeah, it's different. Mm -hmm. um, both valid. So anyway, uh, that we got through tune harmony economy. Let's look at noodle. Now I describe noodle a little bit differently than some people. T H A N um, N is noodle. We we're going to there look for the way that we we're going to experiment, pause, work on little ideas goof around this is really the workshop the lab where we uncover mm. what might be available to us when we are in back into a sense of pulse and time and and improvising and throwing in other ideas so this is where we might just take you know this tune being all g7 it's not as relevant as some but we'll just take the first chord and say you know what's available um, and we'll try little things uh um, one of the things i love to do is to play uh you know, B flat to B with the same finger. So with my third finger, I'm going to put a blue note in there just to see if I like that. You know, um, uh, the, the specific example is not the point here. The point is we're trying things. You can say, oh, yeah, I've heard of a blue scale. My you know, my friend showed me that. You know, do I like that? Um, what You know, what if I used parallel structures like Bradley said? But I use black keys. Would I like that? Maybe not. Um, what if I played the tune backwards? So, do I like that? Do I not? It, there's not a right answer. The point is you spend time looking at your materials and seeing what you can apply, sometimes drawing from uh, past experiences. Maybe you learned this lick B flat B G. And let's just test if we like that. I kind of like it, kind of don't, because it seems like a boogie lick in the middle of a funk piece. Um, you know, so this is where you d you create your ingredients, like a cook. Okay, on a cook yeah. Show. I was just gonna say the same thing. It feels like you want you open the pantry looking for something to eat. Yep, and you know how on cook shows they say, "Oh, it's easy. You can make this in ten minutes." Yeah, and they have their cup of pre-cut <laughs> onions and everything's already done. I know. If only someone would do that for me, then I would cook. <laughs> So this is where you develop those little bowls of the materials. <laughs> you, 
<laughs> and, come out. Okay, and I think that is that, that's a uh, hmm, that's a series for a whole another podcast. Is what are in those bowls, right? Yeah, and developing those bowls so that you can pull them out when when you need them. And in part, I sometimes show a few starter licks, but mm -hmm. I really mm -hmm. am hesitant to do too much of that. I like t for students to with the scale and chord in mind, knowing that theory underpinnings to discover their own favorite licks and their own go-tos. That said, every once in a while, though, there's the cool gem that somebody, you know, that you got somewhere. Uh, that's one that somebody else showed me, you know, so I might throw that in. Um, but, but that's okay, though, I think, because if you don't have any vocabulary, you need to start learning a vocabulary first. So you're going to learn from others. I agree. And then you just need to go in. hand in hand. If, you, mm -hmm. if, if, if improvising is just plugging in like number 41 and like number 27, <laughs> you're really not getting to the creative heart of it. Correct. So, um, but every once in a while, it's nice to use a hamburger helper or like I. I learned how to cook with Home Chef this winter. <laughs> so I need recipes. I need things that show me what to do. And then I build my confidence. Yeah, I mean, and that is, um, to quote Clark Terry, the great late jazz trumpeter, he said that the process uh, over learning to become a better improviser is starts with imitation, which is what we're talking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Imitation and then integration. So Ooh, I'm yes. talking about integration. Yes. You start by mm -hmm. getting some things in your bucket, then you start putting them into your mm -hmm. playing. And that ends with um, innovation, where you mm -hmm. then say, I've got a whole new thing I don't think anybody's ever done before. Um, and you can play those, those same, you can play through those same three words, imitate, uh, integrate, and innovate within a learning a tune. Um, you know, at first you are just imitating just to figure out what it's made of. Um, anyway, so the, the noodle is very important. And if there are two... Um, common mistakes people make they they get they stop at noodle and especially people who are highly trained they just kind of keep thinking um you know i'll do sequences and then and, and they do that and then do this do that and then maybe it's three days and pretty soon all they did was <laughs> do the lab and they never got to the tune ah uh, um, okay so the other thing people do um is they skip all that and just go straight to the tune and then they come up empty when it's time to decorate it or amp embellish it or, God forbid, play a jazz solo over top of it. They have empty <laughs> buckets. <laughs> okay, and let's just pause there a minute because some people may not realize what you mean by noodle. Your left hand is pretty much staying the same. It's the root and trunk of the tree while your right hand is having a party doing what yep. it wants to do. Okay. The time is in the left hand in, in the style mm -hmm. I teach most okay. of the time. And I realize that noodle also means just goof around and, and play things. For that, I use the word doodle. Frankly, oh, the word okay. noodle is just convenient because I like the acronym thanks. So so there is a difference between noodle and doodle? <laughs> in my book. Oh, okay. What are they? I did not well, know this. Noodle this is, is something to, new. To cerebrally and very carefully and thoughtfully think about what you might use when you're not noodling, when you're doing the next step, which is kick back. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I heard about this, this other blue scale, the bright blue scale. I mean, I didn't hear about it. I'm just speaking as if you were the student or the teacher. G, A, B flat, B, D, E. Let me see if that fits here. Mm -hmm. You know, just playing it with no rhythm. Uh, oh, maybe I do like the sound of that. Or, or um, you know, I heard you can just play thirds and sevenths. These are random, random things. Uh, B and F. Uh, You know, do I like that? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't. There's a million 
things that, that this could be. But um, maybe, I mean, you just try things here. Maybe, let me just, for fun, uh, I, I, I'm coming in. I'm a classical teacher, and I'm coming out of an, a world where I play a lot of Alberti bass. I don't know. Uh, I can't. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I can't. That would <laughs> but, be you tricky. Know, you draw from. Yes. What I'm hearing you say is that noodling is all about thinking about what's available, what are in the little bowls that have been cut up for us, and doodle is anything goes. Yeah, You're Doodle is your... leaving all together yeah. and saying, I'm sitting down at the piano and I'm going to play a D minor chord. Ooh, I like that. Maybe an E flat. I have no idea where we're going. There's no tuning yeah. hand. Okay, got it. So okay. Doodle is just having the gears. Well, that is something new that Bradley has now codified that I was not aware of. So Noodle and Doodle. <laughs> noodle and Doodle. I like that, though. That's I'm good. glad to know I'll leave a uh-huh. legacy yes. of nonsense uh-huh. words. All right. So, yes, noodling. Did we cover noodling then? Did you feeling you mean, okay with that? I could keep that? drilling down, but it's, um, it's, it's where you, you look for what works, not only technically like what scales, what licks might work, but maybe you would think about layers. You know, would there be time anywhere to put a fill in, in um, so that it'd have bass? harmony and the melody on top and is let's see if this tune has that let's see oh there's a little hole right there i can do a little thing there's one place in this particular hand tune where i have two beats that are empty so maybe i discover that's a nice place to think about adding that little quick reference to a higher layer of a fill higher as in range mm-hmm. um so th- I can't exactly define what noodling is without, like you said, making another whole podcast about, <laughs> you know, show me your licks. I know, I know. But, you know, this is where you see <laughs> that what That could be work. a title for us. <laughs> show me your licks. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stay tuned. So, um, anyway, so once you discover, it doesn't take a huge vocabulary. Once you discover a couple little things you like, um, now this is this other step that gets skipped. Um, you, you know, if we, if we stop with noodling you're not you're kind of always not playing the tune at some point you have to say this is it as of today this is how i play and mm-hmm. i'm going to play this without pause in a good sense of time and i'm even going to um take in some of those ideas discovered while noodling and i call that kicking back that's mm. the k kick back okay. meaning i'm not going to overthink this anymore um it doesn't mean that my analyzing cerebral part of my mind is asleep rather it means that that part of the mind just observes and says Oh, that didn't go so well. That's a place I may want to look back at, at the next time I noodle. But this, um, right now, I'm kicking back. I think there's a, isn't there a classical parallel for that where, Leela, is there a word for that when you, you know, when you go from the, from putting the pieces together to, to making it be the, the, uh, the faux performance, if you will, or no matter what happens, you play it? Oh, let me think about that once. I guess it's just performance zone. You're, you're, you need to be in the zone where, you have to keep going. You cannot. Yeah, stop. at some point you have to say, "This is here. Here is here's how it is now." Right. I mean, you can't just always be building it. Um, and so then that's that's the kickback. And like I said, the other mistake people make is they go straight to that, and then they don't have anything to play. But um, so I did some things in there. Um, I, maybe in my noodling, I discovered that I like tremolos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I did some of those finger scrapes, black key to white key. Finger you know. scrapes. Mm, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, those in my noodling, those are things I, that I liked. And maybe a few of those noodles, I realized that some other, you know, like I showed you earlier, some lick from someone else showed me it might apply here. Some, not everything will. Like, uh, I'll just use an example. Is this a cool <laughs> lick somebody showed me? Well, it isn't very really funky, though. So, yeah, it sort of works, but that you know so i would discover in my noodling that that actually was an idea that failed in my opinion didn't didn't fit as did the alberti bass didn't work you know so that's where you discover it but then you play it and yeah and like i did then you kick back and say this is the real one and but um, i was going to say can i jump in one thing because yeah. i liked that lick but you're right it, w it was too long for what you were doing with the funk but da 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 that would yeah, work it's kind, of a, it's kind of a um bebop lick yeah That's more of a context that it would fit in, and um, and that was a learned lick. You know, that one I got. I I took that off of a George. Yeah, but I would still just shorten and do that first part. See, because I already know what I'm going to do after this podcast. I'm going to make my own version of Angels We Have Heard on High. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Well, the last step is to share it um, because otherwise, it's mm -hmm. it's just um, there's two reasons not to. It, it's just self love to to play a, a piece just all the time for yourself um, and. So mm. these days with the social media and everything, if you just put it out there and say, hey, I'm working on this. It's not perfect, but I'm working on this, um, and, and I'm going to share it with you. Uh, it, it, it has, it's just meaningful if you're a musician to share your music. But for you, it personally has an accountability. Mm -hmm. In other words, it kind of makes a deadline, a point where you say, you know, I'm probably going to play this better next year, but right now there's how I play it. And by next Monday... I'm going to send this to grandma um, as a mm -hmm. Christmas song. Uh, if, you, if you leave that part off, everything just stays open and it never really gets into a tune. At the same time, in this style that, we're, that I teach, there's never a point where you're satisfied. Uh, there is no perfect. There is no mm -hmm. zero mm -hmm. mistakes. Uh, uh, it's just a matter of hanging onto your beat and, and pushing through and building more and more vocabulary. Um, so that's how I would do at least that A section. Do you want to get into just showing the remaining chords of this melody, um, how we do it on time or whatever? What do you do differently with the well, bass Well, in this arrangement, I switch styles altogether, and maybe that's a, too big of a subject. Maybe I'll just play it for you. Uh, I switch to a swing beat. There, okay. Mm -hmm. There we go. So here's the um, bridge. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, wrong sound. Five, six, seven, eight. then I'm back to mm, um, nice. back to the original. I can't change drums that that fast. That's why there are such things as living drummers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it feel. And what I heard was similar though. You did a bass line, but it was more of a walking bass. Yep. And then you were still hanging your chords from your melody. So exactly. the key was governing the hand right there. And did you change the shape of your hand at all? Or was yes, in that case I did. I mean, the, the heart of this is... Um, is just a couple chords. If, in other words, we think about these downbeats. Mm -hmm. It's actually a very logical progression. Um, and then the left hand is always starting the lines on roots. So you're right. In the back to the accompaniment phase of T H A N K S, that is where I 
you know, at least in this arrangement that I decided, that I would change from funk to swing, and that affected the change of the bass line and, and the way the subdivisions were felt. Um, I could have played the whole thing funk, you know, that and or waltz or whatever. It just we're just mm -hmm. using this as an example of how you would both teach a tune or put together your own arrangement. Um, so I'm just going to well share those chords. Um, that it's kind of around the circle of fourths, um, go, going backwards, if you will. So we have a G. And this one, you just have to remember, it goes to an E. In this case, I use an E7 for the color. And from there, it moves by fourths. Four notes up from E is A. A minor. Four notes up from A minor is D, D7. Four notes up from D is G, that's a G7. Four notes up from G is C. And this is the first time we leave that circle of fourths. D is the chord. So for my mind, when I put together this bridge or coach a student, it's the one chord, go to the E, or a sixth if you will, and then move around the circle fifths. A, D, G, C. So we don't need to memorize chords as independent events. We rather think of that this is a common sequence moving by fourths or looking at a circle of fifths uh, or circle of keys. I know you call it, Leela. Um, you know, m graphic and saying, oh, I just move around this way. Mm -hmm. So this whole song, to me, is a big old G7 for the A section and a little circle of fourth swing mm -hmm. around through the middle, and, and then we have it. <laughs> so <laughs> and what's nice is you've just mapped it out. You know, you, you've made it simple, and that's what's so neat. It doesn't have to be this really elaborate thing with all these colorful chords in order to make it sound really cool. And there's so much theory going on right now, too. That's what... I do feel that if students don't have access to a lesson or two like this, well, maybe more than that, they're going to miss out on putting their theory in action. They're not going to see why they should know it. So I like that so theory valuable. in action. Mm -hmm. A key word there, um, and this is definitely a huge tip for piano teachers, as you well know, a key word I love to think about in teaching on and off page is integration. Mm. So rather than having the theory book on the side that is just kind of an independent thing, it's all about looking at the, the piece at hand, whether it's, uh, you know, notated or a lead sheet and saying, what goes in here? What, you know, what chord is Beethoven playing? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a C sharp minor. What happens when we play the B underneath? Oh, it's a C sharp minor seven. You know, there's so many teachable moments. They don't need to be separated. No. Um, and then you could even say, what would Beethoven, what, what might have Beethoven considered when he was noodling? Mm. He might've thought of doing this. Inversion, maybe, you know? So, the, the, I don't think of them as separate activities. I think reading, no. improvising, and theory are all ideally combined. Um, and I know you agree with that too, because if your students writing little pieces based on the pieces they're reading, and um, you know that's good stuff. It's all in one. And what's interesting, I have had my students create or make and play and know patterns on the major sharp keys, and it's. Um, the scale, arpeggio, one, four, five, six chords, and then the one chord inverted. I've just made this nice little pattern. And now they're working around the circle. And I did a six-week sprint with them. So my goal was for them to know all their sharp keys. And then I made a little backing track for iRail Pro for them to practice it. And, and they're liking it. And I'm thinking, I should have done this long ago because even though it's painful, F sharp gets painful. You know, some of those uh, black key scales. But 
I just said, I want you to know these keys and be familiar with them. You don't have to play them even hands together, but it's more of filling their bowls with, you know, options and keys so that they can move around them more confidently. And the chord part has been significantly harder for them because especially when they live in all those black keys, they don't know those chords. So they're really, I'm just talking with you now, they're filling those bowls up so that when we move now into the process of improv or whatever, they can go back to those. So they play uh, the chord progression you described in their left hand, and then they have a pattern for their right? No, they're just just playing this C major scale, the arpeggio. I'll play it once. And then on to the next key. On to the next one, yes. What's what's interesting is going from the one four, five, six, they get lost in the black key forest is what I call it because there's so many black keys. But they know now, they're realizing, oh, okay, I got to really think about those chords. So they're knowing their chords more and more. And then throwing that inversion at the end, then they're practicing their inversions. But it's not this typical. Right. It's, it's a little bit different than that. Uh, so it's been interesting. And um, to the point that we've been trying to make is once you have those tools, those patterns in your hands, then you feel more confident stepping out of them as well. As well as you're already familiar with the keys. Yeah. I think it might be fun for the students who get this pretty well to, to say things like, what is a different pattern we could play maybe like from top to bottom or... What, you know, could you play a pattern that was maybe uh, one, two, three, five? Um, um, I mean, I'm not, you're not a master teacher, so I have no business telling you what to do. Uh, I'm just thinking, I, my instinct is is like, because as a boy, I was a rebel. I As soon as there was a prescribed way to do something, I, I started saying, well, what about this way? What about that way? Oh, <laughs> and trust yeah. me, I'm doing it just because it's a six-week sprint is what I'm calling it. We're going to do I this see. for six weeks, and we're going to stomach through it. And actually, because of the backing track, they're thinking it's kind of fun now. And they're working on their time. Right, right. Because the backing track. So it's, no, Bradley, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think I don't should on myself or my students very often, but I'm shooting on everyone right now. And they're, I, I do see the benefit, and they are too. Yeah, so, and I'm, I'm with you, just in case you think that was pushback. I, one of the, yeah. I'm big on um, just plain old chord drills. I know you are, and I haven't been doing that. So that's why I did it myself, because I knew they needed it. Yes. And you know what? I'm th- Now they're going to be so much more prepared for their theory tests that I always, I always prepare them for a theory test every year, not because I'm teaching for a test, but because it helps me, again, measure what they know and what they don't know. Yes. Um, so they're playing their theory right now. Yep. I take it back. It's an excellent <laughs> exercise. Let's leave it alone. <laughs> We could go I on and always on. always have the what if going in my head. I know. But, but uh, you got to you gotta fill the bowls, then you do the what if. How's yep. that? Yep. That's true. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, there's no creativity in my... No. I know. <laughs> in my chord exercises, you got to play what it is. Um, and a lot of jazzers are that way. I, I, I know there's etudes out of just um, just plain old drills uh, that, that's just like... That's one of the things that was worth mentioning here. This isn't talent... Uh, or mm. magic, you know, good improvisers definitely fill those buckets and develop their fingers. And um, So it's, you know. it starts with small little bowls and then you fill your bucket and then you and empty it, it ends, all right? over the piano. Right. It never ends. <laughs> and then you fill it some more. Well, this you know, has been like, great, Bradley. Oh, yes. Did you have something more profound to say? I was going to say, like, if you asked me to play Afro pop, it would probably be the horrible 
um, because I don't know anything about Afro pop. That's a bucket I'd love to fill. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there, yeah. there's always another style around the corner. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Cuban Latin music, but I know a lot about Brazilian Latin music. And so, you know what I mean? You just keep building your your vocabulary uh, and, and, and understanding of styles and uh, and I think whatever I learn from and from you, it sheds light back on even what I teach in the classical world. It, it's very interesting how the integration just keeps moving forward. Well, it comes naturally to you. That's the, you're definitely an integration teacher. <laughs> Everybody that's listening, you know, pay attention to her, the, her oh, materials because she's got it. All right. You want to leave us with any other words of wisdom? I wrote a, a whole bunch down here because now <laughs> I now know the difference between noodle and doodle. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. So Yeah. Um, you know, I hope it's stuck. I said the little poem there, if the piece uh, ain't steady, the tune ain't ready or whatever. The beat's not steady, <laughs> the tune ain't ready. Uh, it's all about that, um, you know, and, and I guess I would say the, the, the word of wisdom is to keep going. Um, last night, I'm learning how to play mandolin. I'm kind of past learning. I'm now trying to move from fiddle tunes to jazz tunes. Last night I played All of Me for an hour. Um, and I improvised, after I played the melody, I improvised for an hour, uh, in my, uh, w- about 40 minutes through. My wife went upstairs, closed all the doors, and watched The Crown. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh-huh. you know, just I'd, be, I'd be right there with her, just to say. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to hear that? <laughs> so improvise for a long time. And when you're in that noodling phase and kickback phase, just do it and do it and do it. And you keep discovering. And then come back the next day and see what new because of your mood or your, some lick you heard about or you're listening to this podcast. You, you can't sit down and be precious. That's my mm. best advice. Sit down and just play and play and play and play and play and notice as you go what you like. And that's how you develop artistry, taste. That's how you fill your buckets. Um, it, it does, isn't going to happen with that little nugget. Those are helpful and fun. But you're, you, you, if you sit down and play Angels We Have Heard on High for an hour tonight, I can promise you that tomorrow your improvisation will mm-hmm. be better. So that's my, that's my advice. Nice. And what I'm hearing is that uh, your innate well, it appears innate ability to sit down and jam didn't just happen overnight. You have Absolutely worked not. hours and hours and you have worked on filling that bucket. And I think that is one of the key takeaways too. This is, although people would call you talented, I don't even like that word anymore. I don't, I, I don't know why. I just like to sh- shy away from it. It's hard work. Yeah. It, but it's not hard work that's mindless. Like I, you could play. I love Hannon technique, for example. But if I could play that for six hours a day, I, I probably wouldn't be a better improviser. You got to work on the right stuff, right? You got to you got to do the improvisation work. So the number, as you know, on the number of hours is not the, what makes you uh, accomplished. It's the it's the uh, the focus on what it is you're trying to do. Um, and so I try to do my whole thing. I love to do is understand and deconstruct styles and say. How could I do that on piano? How can I be an Afropop band by myself? Maybe someday I'll be able to show you that. You and you say a lot of how and what if, and I think, and oh, did I like that? And I think a lot of people, when they don't like something, they'll say it's bad. I'm like, it's not bad. It's, you just don't like it. And why don't you like it? And how could you make it better? But I th- the, the words precious or the word precious comes to mind is that we think that we have to coddle every single thing and it's so important but we can throw it out we don't have to have right or you can just save it for later maybe you will like it in a different context yeah yeah so good stuff we could go on and on Bradley but uh let's call it done for right now and you'll just have to come back again I would love to okay it's great to see and spend time with you you too thanks Bradley 
拜拜。Whoops, I forgot to warn you that when Bradley and I get going, our jargon can be a little overwhelming. We've been accused of making heads spin as we crank up the fire hose of ideas. Thanks to Bradley, you now know the important difference between noodle and doodle, that the pinky must govern the melody when hanging chords, and that we need to fill our idea buckets with small ingredient bowls of patterns past experiences, and plenty of theory. Now I challenge you to follow his thanks method with any tune and make sure you share your funkified tune. As you can tell, Bradley lives and breathes improvisation. I mean, who would improvise on a mandolin for hours over watching Netflix? The answer? Bradley Sowash. To learn more about him and his latest online jazz piano classes, head to the show notes at leelavis.com slash key ideas. I leave you with one of Bradley's poetic tips. If the beat's not steady, the tune's not ready. Before you go, it would be great if you could leave a five-star rating and a review. It really helps get the word out about key ideas. I appreciate your ears and glad we are only an earbud away. See you in the trenches.